This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 408. This is the Concealed Carry Podcast. Welcome. I am Matthew Marister. I'm not your host, Riley Bowman. Uh, I'm going to be filling in for him today, but we have an awesome guest that's going to bring you a lot of good information. Attorney Derek DeBrose from uh, Munitions Law Group. And uh, we're going to talk to him about a lot of stuff dealing with law and how to keep yourself out of jail um, even before you pull the firearm, right? Um, we sometimes get sidetracked into uh, thinking it's all about you know the the tactical side of it but there's there, there's a lot that goes into carrying a firearm and, and and you know we talk on the podcast all the time we're we're big on uh constitutionality um laws being you know some of these gun laws may be unconstitutional but uh the fact is is they're only truly unconstitutional and when they're uh challenged in court and found to be unconstitutional so whether or not you think a gun law is constitutional or not you know you can still be end up getting arrested for it if it's in the book. So we're going to talk about some of those myths and, and things. We're going to get to know Derek. He's a, he's a, a veteran, a combat veteran. Uh, he's got some good information. He's a firearms instructor, lives out here in Ohio with me. Uh, we don't live together, but we live in the same state. And so uh, we're going to talk about that. But first, um, let's talk about the sponsor. Uh, our sponsor, appropriately, is our Legal Boundaries by State book. And so if you haven't uh, checked it out, head over to concealcarry.com forward slash gun law book. And uh, it's easy enough to spell that even I can can spell that. So it's concealedcarry.com forward slash gun law book. But this book, uh, basically it goes through every state and it's going to tell you all those, you know, small laws that you, you may not know about. Can you consume alcohol? Do you have to notify? Um, it, it's more than just reciprocity. And I think uh, a lot of people say, well, I, I check my app and, you know, I have reciprocity with this state or that state, but they fail to understand that the gun laws are different from state to state. So it's really important, especially if you're a traveler, um, a trucker, you go cross country, uh, really important to know those specific state laws because you could be violating things that could end up, you know, uh, cause you to be en end up in jail. Uh, without you even knowing it. So um, head over to concealcarry.com forward slash gun law book. Uh, you can get the physical copy and um, you can also buy the digital copy that is uploaded or updated all the time. So I think we've updated it maybe uh, already one time this year. As uh, gun laws change, we update them. So if you have that physical copy, it's nice, but it's also good to have that digital copy that up updates with all, all those gun laws so you're not out of date. So check it out. All right, Derek, um, we are going to get into the fun stuff. Um, I want to just first uh, introduce you. Uh, I kind of did early on, but you are out here in Columbus, Ohio. You're an attorney. You work for uh, or in a, a firm, Munitions Law Group. Um, it's munitionsgroup.com. You have an awesome YouTube channel. That's where I actually found you several years ago. Uh, saw a dude on there with a beard talking about guns and law and figured out, wow, this guy's in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so it worked out awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background, how you got into uh, law, was it, you know, and, and why guns specifically? Uh, yeah, grew up, born and raised in Ohio, small town called Piqua. Don't know if you've ever heard of it. Um, be surprised if you have. 
um, western part of the state. Wasn't a lot having guns growing up. Um, no specific reason. My father had a couple rifles, but I grew up in a very, I would say, politically different uh, household than my politics today. <laughs> uh, the guns were not really in, in, in existence, although all my friends who lived in the country, we'd always go shooting growing up and did things outside. Um, fast forward, got through high school, went to the Ohio State University for undergrad uh, and uh, decided to go to law school because my under- I majored in political science. I like to tell people I majored in unemployment. So law school was <laughs> my, my only cha- choice. Um, but I always enjoyed uh, civics and, and law and politics, wanted to get in politics for a while. So decided on law. Was in the Army at the time, in the National Guard, got deployed to Iraq in the second cycle of the Iraq War back in 03 to 05. Came back and went to Regent University School of Law in Virginia Beach, uh, finished up, and the economy collapsed. So I started my own law firm. Did a little bit of everything at first, a lot of criminal law, a lot of estate planning, uh, things like that, and and realized very uh, quickly that there wasn't a firm, at least in the state of Ohio, that focused solely on guns. So I started uh, doing that and I cut my teeth on restoration work for felons and people with uh, issues with possessing guns and uh, became uh, nationally known for uh, the knowledge that I have in that. I teach that subject matter quite often for the NRA nationally at their annual meetings, things like that. And um, so the rest is kind of history. Then I met uh, Clay Cheshire, my law partner with Munitions Group, who focused most of his practice on the industry side of things. So FFLs manufacturers, things like that. And we both had a working knowledge of each other's practice areas, but uh, we excelled in very different areas of the industry. So we thought, let's form a firm that can do soup to nuts, everything involving firearms. So, you know, if you're just trying to put your guns in a trust, we can do it. If you're trying to form a a gun brokering company internationally, we can do it. Anything involving firearms or sporting goods, we, we have the knowledge and ability to handle. So that's pretty much a brief history about me. That's cool. Um, you know, and you kind of talked about restoration and I want to come back to that later. Um, it wasn't something that was, you know, on my radar. Um, but just talking to you kind of popped on my, uh, on, on my mind because it's something that I get a lot of people asking questions about. So, um, I definitely want to talk about that, but, um, you mentioned that you, uh, you deployed to Iraq. Uh, you, I saw in your, your bio, you know, you have a, a combat action ribbon. So you, you went out and you actually, um, you know, got into some stuff over there. So that, that's awesome. You're also in the firearms instructor. Is, is that right? Yeah, I've been, geez, I've been an NRA instructor. I'm guessing around 2010, maybe 2009. It was very early on in my practice. Um, and I'm I'm USCCA instructor. I, I've taken more armorers classes than I can remember. Um, yeah, in the military, I actually was enlisted. I wasn't a JAG officer or anything. I, I joined, um, a year after high school and the pay for college. And I was a truck driver. I, I did convoy security. Huh. Um, and if you remember from the beginning of the war, convoys were kind of the front line with items and things. So it was very easy to earn a combat action badge over there. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Cool. Um, and so, you know, you have a, you have family out here in Columbus, you guys are doing, doing well, staying s- safe and healthy. Yeah, we're healthy. Uh, it's just my wife and I in Columbus. My family still lives in Piqua, so and they're all healthy. I know they had an outbreak in Miami County uh, in Troy, Ohio, at a nursing home, but they're doing well. But yeah, everybody's good. 
That's awesome. I know a lot of, a lot of our listeners and viewers that comment on Facebook and YouTube, they're, they're kind of regulars and we're always checking on each other, making sure, cause you never know, like one day everybody's good. The next day, you know, they know yeah. somebody's uh, in the hospital. So it's, it's good to hear you're, uh, you're doing well. Um, so you, you kind of started out and you said, you know, you had a couple, uh, parts of law that you were interested in, um, but then kind of expanded out and realized, Hey, this guy knows a lot about this type of gun law. And I know about a lot about this, um, is, you know, I find it strange or I find it, um, kind of interesting actually that there are so many different elements of gun laws. A lot of times people either focus on, you know, the self-defense aspect, you know, mm-hmm. the use of force aspect, or they talk about, you know, just regular possession, you know, can I go on this property or not? But there is a big, deep, you know, tunnel that you go into once you start getting involved in gun law, especially yeah. you talked about trusts and things. Um, so what are a couple of things that, you know, when people get into um, coming to talk to you, that just blows their mind? Like they're, they're coming to talk to you about, Hey, I want to get uh, some advice about getting a trust for my suppressor or something like that. And then you just start talking about gun law and they're like, I never even thought about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a lot. I mean, it's very astute observation on your part. Um, most people don't really understand how complex um, firearms law is. It touches every area of the law. I, I like to say there's plenty of attorneys who like guns and will advertise themselves as gun lawyers. There's only very few gun lawyers. Um, you, can, you can be a lawyer and say you like guns, um, but more often than not, um, I mean, I can't remember how many times we made the argument in court that previous counsel was ineffective because they just simply didn't understand the gun laws. You know, pleading somebody out to disorderly conduct from domestic violence doesn't necessarily fix their issue with regards to guns, things like that. And then we have to come in after the fact and clean it up. Um, so that's a very typical scenario that we deal with. And uh, I teach Second Amendment law at the law school here in town, and I don't have enough time in the semester to teach them probably a third of what they need to really even understand. Because um, like you said, yeah, it's, it's, it's trust law. It can be... Uh, it can affect social security benefits. I mean, guns uh, are cr- you know, criminal law, uh, possession, uh, business law. Um, I mean, you name it. Uh, TSA law. You know, we do a lot with the TSA. If you bring a gun to the airport, um, just just regulatory compliance, and it goes on and on and on and on and on. Guns just affect everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we get a, I get a lot of people that come in. The most, the funniest one I think, at least in the state of Ohio is we'll get people that'll move to the state from New York, California, wherever, even Michigan. And they'll say, where do I register my gun? And I ask, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> uh, we don't have a gun registry in the state of Ohio. And they say, well, yeah, my gun's registered. I bought the gun. I filled out a document. That was the registration. Like, it's not a registration. That's a 4473 that's kept in the FFL dealer's warehouse for 21 years. And then it's destroyed. You know, they don't understand actually how gun laws work in the background. They just know they go in the store, they fill out a document, they buy a gun, and then they think they can shoot somebody if they feel the life's in danger, and that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so much more complicated than that. Well, it, you, you mentioned like there are a lot of gun uh, lawyers that are gun guys, but not a lot of 
gun lawyers. And why, I mean, why do you think that is? I, I mean, it yeah. seems to me that that would be an aspect. If I'm looking to, if, if I'm an attorney, you know, I go to law school, I like guns and I see a void in the, in the industry, right? Like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of, there's everybody's doing, you know, probates and wills and things like that. And I could go over here and do this. Is it, is it really difficult? Is that what it is? It's just a, a big learning curve maybe. Yeah. I think that's the majority of it. Uh, it's a huge learning curve and it's, you know, it's not simple. I remember when gun trust first came on the market, we were one of the first firms in Ohio to, to do gun trust. There's a couple out there, but no one really focused on it. And then it kind of blew up and everybody was doing them. Even if they weren't gun lawyers, they were just estate planning attorneys. They started doing them, but they didn't really understand the gun control act or the Ohio weapons control act or the national firearms act. Um, and if they read it, they would think they would understand it, but they don't understand the vast amount of constitutional law that is behind that law. I'll give you a good example in the criminal world and domestic violence is a prohibitor from owning guns under federal law. Um, but that's not what you think it is on its face. An attorney might say, Oh, my client, I'm going to plead him out from domestic violence to assault. Great. We'll keep his gun rights and he won't have a domestic violence conviction. Well, there's a case from, I think, 2008, USB Hayes, that says assault is still considered domestic violence for federal purposes. So I'll get all kinds of clients that have come to me and say, hey, my attorney said he was a gun guy, he was a gun lawyer, and told me I would still be able to own guns and pled me out to this, and I'm getting denied. I said, well, your gun lawyer doesn't know what he's talking about. That's the problem. Because they'll read the law and they'll say one thing, but they don't really investigate it and spend the time that, I mean, look, it took me probably a good seven years to really master restoration. It just takes a lot of time and energy and desire. And I, I think a lot of the attorneys out there are maybe just looking f- to make a living, which is fine. That's admirable. Um, but if they're not passionate about it, they're, they're not from the culture. They may not have uh, the knowledge base that you may need in your case. So there's good gun lawyers out there, but you must vet them. You must ask them specific questions to make sure they know what they're talking about, especially when it comes to the intersection of state and federal law. That's the biggest uh, issue I see because most trees will get the state law correct most because they know state law, but if they don't practice regularly in federal law, they're not going to know. It. And, and that's, that's a real problem I see in the marketplace. So you, you mentioned if they don't ask the right question. So somebody's sitting here listening to us and saying, you know, uh, I'm an upstanding guy. I, I had a problem in my past, you know, 15 years ago. Um, and what kind of questions do I want to ask if the, let's say they're not in Ohio, you practice in Ohio, let's say they're in another state, they want to get an attorney. What kind of questions should they be asking to see, you know, uh, if this guy is really able to help them, uh, maybe get something expunged mm-hmm. or, or what re, re, reinstate their, uh, yeah. their, their rights. I'd ask about their, their gun law experience. I mean, number one, you know, how many cases like this have you worked on? Have you ever been successful in this endeavor? Ever had a client with the exact same facts? Uh, things like that. And, and ask about the reputation. Maybe try to get some references. Mm-hmm. Um, the best place to go for something like that is actually the National Rifle Association's Civil Defense Fund. If you Google that, there's a number and they'll give you a referral. There's a list of attorneys around the country and they usually give out exceptionally good re- referrals that generally know what they're doing. Uh, people like myself are on that list. So, that's a really good spot to start. And that's where we start when we need local counsel in other states. I just had a call somewhere from Tennessee today. I'm not licensed in Tennessee, but we can still do the federal side of it, but we need local counsel to ha- handle the Tennessee issue. Um, so call the NRA, get a referral um, and go from there. But yeah, there's no, there's no black and white answer to that question. There's, there's no specific 
magic words that you're looking for. It's just kind of a gut check sometimes. It's easier for someone like me because I know the law, right? right. And I know if they know what they're talking about. It can be difficult for other people. Yeah. Um, how, how successful are you when somebody comes to you and says, you know, I've had this thing in my past and I, I, I got denied my concealed carry license or I can't buy a firearm and I've been upstanding for, you know, 15 years. Um, how, how successful are you? I, I know it kind of depends on, you know, what it was and everything, but is it, is it more likely than not that, that you can get the, their gun uh, rights reinstated or restored? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, you are correct. Every case is what I call a thumbprint. Every case is different. Um, up in you know, for the first probably four or five years of my practice in this area, I had the honor of saying I had a hundred percent success rate. Uh, no longer is that the case. Uh, no longer <laughs> you practice no matter of statistics, right? Um, they, they, I do lose these cases, and and that's just the nature of the beast. Some cases deserve to be lost, to be quite frank. Um, you know, if the guy just has a horrible record and, and they're, they're just not a good person, I'll still fight for them because that's my job. Um, but internally, may, I, might, I might be conflicted, but I don't put my personal feelings above my client's interests ever. Um, nevertheless, that's a side note. It, it can be very difficult to answer that question. I don't have a percentage for you. I like to think we're on the higher end of successful firms in this, in this regard. We do a lot of restoration work around the country. Um, by and large, we have good results. We have good results. That's the best I can tell you. Yeah, no, and, and that's perfect. I mean, because I know as a, as an instructor, a lot of times people will come to me and, you know, I tell them, Hey, keep in touch with me after the class. Let me know how, how everything's going. And, uh, you know, every so often, every year, every couple of times I'll have students reach back out and say, Hey, I went to, uh, I got denied, right. The sheriff mm-hmm. denied me and, and what can I do, uh, to get, to get my, you know, gun uh, rights reinstated. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I was a police officer, but like, you know, that's totally different, right? Like right. they're like, Oh, you, you must know. Cause you're an instructor. And I'm like, right. look, I don't talk out outside of my lane. Right. There's, yeah. so I don't I never want to give people bad information, but it's good to know that, you know, uh, there is, there are resources that are so, um, that are out there that they can reach out to, to get, to get help. Because, you know, I, I truly believe that, um, the second amendment, you know, if we have a restorative type justice, the system um, that, you know, firearms and voting and, and all that in certain cases should, should come back. Right. Yeah. Like you, you, you pay your penance and, yeah. and um, obviously there's some cases that, you know, um, are a little extreme and probably, you, you know, it's obvious that those rights shouldn't be instated, but it's something that's really important. And I'm glad right. that you're, you're doing that because um, yeah, I, 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 I'm surprised with how many people reach out with yeah. that, with that problem. There's a lot and there's, there's a ton and at the federal level, it's even more difficult. Um, there's really, there's not an easy way to correct a federal conviction. Um, I don't think I've actually ever restored a federal convict, his gun rights. It's very, you have to get a presidential pardon. That's what it comes down to. Wow. Um, at the state level, it's much easier and every state's different. Ohio, we're very lucky. We're very classically liberal in the sense that we're very forgiving to people who have committed crimes in our state. Uh, for instance, in Ohio, as soon as you're off paper, as we say, or off probation or parole, uh, you're you're able to vote, hold office, and serve on a jury, pretty much automatically. Um, in some states, uh, such as where we were doing some research the other day, I think it might have been Tennessee or Kentucky. I can't remember where. Like you'll get two of the rights, but not all three of your rights back. You know, it's you have to get a pardon. Um, but in Ohio, 
Oh, it's it's a pretty straightforward process uh, for the most part. And domestic violence is a little bit tricky, but um, every state's a little bit different. And you're right, there's a ton of people out there, a lot. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, so I want to kind of switch into, uh, you know, we're talking about gun laws at the state level and federal level. Um, I know on some people's minds, they're, they're looking at some of these orders that governors and mayors and stuff are trying to implement as far as, um, you know, shutting down gun businesses. I know here in Ohio, um, I had the health board um, shut down the range, which I teach at, so we can't teach classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so this kind of exemplifies Trump comes out and says, hey, the federal level, we're advising that, you know, uh, gun shops and gun sales, those things are essential businesses, but we can't force the states to keep them open. Some of the states are, you know, choosing to restrict those things. What do you think um, is going to happen? You think these governors are going to get sued? You think these, these types of things will hold up in court or. Well, they've already been sued. My good friend, Josh Prince sued uh, the governor of Pennsylvania and uh, didn't win in the lawsuit, but eventually did get, if I remember correctly, the governor to change his position. DeWine in Ohio from the get-go has been pro-gun, if you will, and, and has said that uh, gun business is a necessary business. So we haven't had that issue in Ohio. I, I do believe the federal government does have the ability to force states to leave gun, gun stores open. Look, I mean, the federal government is can be tasked with enforcing constitutional rights. And at the end of the day, if the Second Amendment is a constitutional right, I think a good argument can be made that a gun store is a necessary component of exercising that right. Now, I've had some more liberal attorney friends say, well, look, the Second Amendment promises and guarantees the ability to possess, keep, and bear arms, but it doesn't say anything about being able to go to a gun store and buy a gun. But I think one necessitates the other, so I think there's a good argument that. I haven't researched it, because in Ohio, there's been no need to research it. Um, I, I think lo- there's a larger problem, though, with the, the stay-at-home orders, I think, and I don't want to get into a political perspective, right. but... Um, it concerns me. I'll leave it at that. It concerns me not just from a gun standpoint, but from a liberty standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm in the same boat. I just want to get your kind of thought process on that. Um, so we had a question in in the Facebook chat here and somebody asked about, uh, actually it's on YouTube. Uh, he asked about the USCCA. Now I'm assuming, uh, Jefferson, you're talking about, you know, the self-defense, uh, I, I don't want to say insurance, but basically having uh, a, a retainer on attorneys or some sort of fund that will protect you or help you uh, if you have to use your firearm. Now, do you do you offer any sort of service like that? Are you on retainer with somebody who can pay at a monthly level mm-hmm. or anything like that? Well, hey, look, we're a law firm. A lot of what we do is hourly work. If someone wants to keep us on a retainer and just call us and we bill against the retainer, that's always an option. That's there's no snake oil to that, right? You have a separate bank account for the client's money. It's there until we earn it. That's always an option. But we do offer something called a quick reaction program. It is not insurance. Um, basically, it's an allocation of our time for the client to be able to call us 24-7. Um, so if they can't get us between normal business hours, they have you know the ability to get us direct, include some consultation and things like that as well. It's, it's kind of paying up front for some legal services to ensure that we're there. And that we have a relationship and then it's ready to go, right? We're in, we're in your back pocket for when you need us. And I always tell the clients, look, it's not necessary, but if it makes you feel more comfortable, then there's value to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started offering that type of a product and we're getting ready to launch a new website where it's automated and you can just sign up online. 
Um, that hasn't been done yet. But uh, the question you got, was that regards to USCCAs? I, yeah, uh, I, th- I think Jefferson, he, he was just asking about what do you think about the USCCA product okay. in general? Okay, so I get that question a lot. Um, full disclosure, I have served on the, uh, the legal advisory board with USCCA. I am an instructor. Um, but that aside, you know, I can't also, I can't endorse a product and I'm not endorsing your product. So now my disclaimers are stated. Um, I think it's, I know it can be very valuable from the standpoint that I've had clients utilize their product and other type types of products where, you know, my fee were 10 grand or more and I got to check the next day. Um, for that client, it was absolutely worthwhile, right? Mm-hmm. Because he would have had to pay 10 grand out of pocket where he only paid, you know, what, $250 for the insurance. Um, so it can be useful, but that's the whole premise behind insurance type products, right? You don't need it, but when you do need it, it's damn well worth it. Right. Um, but it does work. I will say that at least USCCA's product for the limited clients that I've had that have used those type of CA. Um, so I can't answer that question. I will say that a lot of times, um, homeowners insurance will have some coverage, but it's more traditional insurance where you have a winner be acquitted and then reimburse attorney's fees. Mm. The problem with that is, is if you don't have assets and the attorney needs eighty thousand dollars up front or whatever it is for a murder charge, um, I mean our office I always say you know just might as well expect fifty grand off the rip. Um, we're going to get the money. You're going to sell your house, get another mortgage, sell your car, your truck, whatever it might be. But if you have the insurance, it is available. So. That's my food for thought. I don't encourage people to necessarily go out and buy the product. I just leave you with the information and you make that decision on your own. Yeah, because those those numbers, I mean, I, I know people, they don't even believe me when I tell them, you know, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars in a defense. And it doesn't matter if you're, you know, acquitted or found guilty. I mean, you're still out that money, yeah. right? And so... Yeah. George Zimmerman's defense, I don't remember the exact numbers, so forgive me if you fact check this. I know it was well over a million dollars. I think it was like 1.8 million. I'm not exactly sure of the number, but at that point in time, it's astronomical. But I, I say, look, if you're getting charged with a, a crime because there's a dead body at the end of the gun, 50 grand minimum, I would say, for a good attorney, you're probably looking at six figures plus, depending on how hard the prosecutor fights and how complicated the case is. If I'm walking you through a plea deal. Yeah, I can get that done cheap, but you're going to plead out to something that you're going to do time on. Um, you know, if you want to fight this, it's going to be a lot of work and very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm in the same boat as you. You know, I think uh, companies like CCW Safe, uh, USCCA, their products are really good. Um, and I, I know people who have used them and I, I've you know, I, I know that some of the guys that uh, from full disclosure from CCW safe and they're awesome attorneys they are great guys. Um, and, and I know that they would do exactly what, you know, the product, uh, what they state in the product, you know, come out and help you uh, defend yourself. Right. And um, I think it's it's interesting because a lot of people think, well, as long as I'm in the right, as long as I didn't break any laws, I'm good to go. And it's just you know, it, it's leaving so much out on the table that they, it, it's a scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking that you you may lose your house, your business, uh, everything you've worked for and, and walk away, you know, acquitted, but yeah. what are you walking out to? That's a good point. You know, we started teaching our self-defense seminars differently. We used to teach, you know, what is self-defense deadly force? What is it justified? Started teaching in the inverse. I started to teach when it's not justified because the, cases that we normally get retained on they're being charged because something wasn't 
clear, something was ambiguous or something was done incorrectly. Mm -hmm. So I use those as teaching moments and when not to pull a firearm, right? It's not as black and white as you may think it is. It's extremely gray. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had a client once that was an older gentleman that was, he he perceived uh, another gentleman uh, in, in his perception to be committing child abuse, you know, beating a child in a parking lot. And uh, he pulled his gun and long story short, he got charged with F1 uh, felonious assault. And he's looking at 11 years in prison. Three of it was mandatory. And he, he went to the mat and we went to trial on it and it was expensive and we won. Um, But in his mind, he was doing the right thing, but he was still charged with a very serious felony, the highest felony in Ohio, because he was trying to do the right thing in his mind. So it's not black and white. This is an ongoing problem. I think in the self-defense community, understanding how gray, the law actually is and what you do could lead to a charge mm-hmm. uh, from the prosecutor's office. Yeah. So, I mean, so avoidance is obviously, I mean, we preach that a lot, you know, and I'm sure you do too in your classes and things, but avoidance, right. Cause then you, you avoid even the, the, the possibility right. of, of ending up uh, in a courtroom, which you don't mind being in a courtroom, but you don't want right. to be, you know, a defendant in a courtroom. Right. It's situational awareness, being aware of your surroundings and and not, and I see this all the time. Almost every one of my clients, for the most part, same demographic. It's male. It's usually, you know, 25 to 50 years old and they, they have a gun. So they think they're going to be Batman. And now they land themselves in jail or prison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to walk away from most of these situations. You're not. Uh, you're not the police. You know, you're not Batman. Your job is to protect yourself and your family. Get out of the area. Call 911. That's the best decision. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, and, and I want to keep this, you know, uh, nationally focused, right? Not just Ohio law, but, um, you know, the difference between somebody calling you up and saying, hey, you know, I shot somebody. I need representation to like a statutory law where, you know, I carried in this establishment and they have a posted sign. And, and I know states are different. So everybody's you know going to chime in. My state does this and that. Um, but in general, um as far as statutory laws, people calling up in violation of a law that they had no idea they violated, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it be a magazine limit uh, capacity or uh, I carried across this line and this was actually school property and it wasn't, you know, or, or I thought it wasn't. Um, is that is is that a big bulk of, you know, I know you do restorative, but like, is that a big bulk? Uh, do you see people getting charged with those types of, you know, statutory stuff a lot? <laughs> I wouldn't say it's big, but it, it is an issue. Um, car carry is a very typical example. Mm-hmm. Carrying the gun in the car the wrong way and all of a sudden you committed a felony. Uh, drunk with a gun in the car is very extremely common, especially for veterans that are dealing with PTSD. Um, car carry, I'd say, is the number one. I mean, at least in the state of Ohio. Nationally speaking, I, I really couldn't answer that question. I'm not another. And you're right. Every every state is complete. Like California, there's probably, if you have a gun, good Lord. <laughs> you know, it's like probably carrying around a math formula just to make sure you're in compliance with the law. Um, but generally speaking, they, they come up, but I wouldn't say it's a, a bulk by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. And I'll, you know, I'll plug the legal boundaries by state book again, because, you know, this is one of those things that's, it's really important. And if you don't know these specific laws, I mean, I'm sure that you, you've probably had people say, well, you know, I got charged and I, I thought we had reciprocity and I thought it was all good to go. And yeah. they're saying, look, in Pennsylvania, you may be able to drink and have your firearm on you, but not here in Ohio. So, you know, even though we have reciprocity, 
you know, you're going to get jammed up here. Yeah. Um, so I, I really, I implore people and most of our listeners, they're, they're, like I said, they're the, the regular listeners. They know we harp on um, not just putting out a, a post on Facebook and say, Hey, uh, I got a question, a legal question. I want to get some answers. And then all their friends are, you know, all these people are chiming in, giving them legal advice on how to stay out of jail with a gun, you know, for, mm-hmm. for some sort of gun crime. And it's like, don't get your legal advice from a poll on Facebook. No, I agree. Probably a bad, yeah. a bad start. Um, and so, yeah. So, um, Scooby on uh, YouTube, he's watching. He says he entered the broadcast late. But what are the essential elements of restorative work? Are you talking? Are you talking about? Are you talking about? Uh, what are the main scenarios involves? Mm-hmm. Um, so, could you sum it up in a couple major For, areas? He's referring to restoration rights. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Uh, it's hard to do because every wow, it's that's a loaded question. <laughs> um, so if some reason there's a disability that arises, it can be, a, there's nine factors, nine, nine things, if you will, in the gun control act that would create a disability. And in Ohio, there's five. Um, and they, they could be, it could be a mix of both. Right. And so we have to do an initial analysis to determine um, what's on your record and does it create a federal disability and does it create a state disability? Once you determine that, then your action plan will be, uh, driven from that decision, right? If it's federal only, we might take this route. If it's state only, this route. If it's both, we might take this route. Uh, so it really depends on the facts, but the gist of it in Ohio is you analyze, determine the disability, determine the action plan, and you'll likely uh, be doing something in court, either an expungement slash sealing, a restoration of rights, a pardon, or some sort of motion practice in the court. Then it's not cheap, at least not for our office to do it. We spend a lot of time. We treat them all extremely serious. This is not something you're throwing five hundred dollars at and going away. This is thousands of dollars of legal work to do it correctly. And what's the time uh, time period to to do it? Case is different. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say at a minimum, a very minimum, three months, and that's probably mm-hmm. unlikely. You're looking at probably more of a minimum of six months to a year. Wow. Yeah, slow slow process to get it all through. Slow, but in, in light of some states, I mean, Florida, it's taken them seven, eight years to process uh, pardons, and that's how you do it in Florida. Wow. Um, every state's different, you know, mm-hmm. and some states it's not possible. You just can't get it done because their laws are not as, like I said, classically liberal as Ohio's are. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's that's good info. Uh, Scooby, I hope that answers your question. Um, Jared it must have been reading, you know, my mind because the next question he he asks it and he says, from the standpoint standpoint of a gun lawyer, what's the most important thing the average gun owner needs to know about gun law? So yeah. I know that's a huge that's we're throwing some we're shooting you with some sniper questions today. Mm-hmm. Um but maybe maybe uh, a couple of the misconceptions, like the, the the laws that you see people come in and say, well, I thought this, or you hear on Facebook somebody saying, you know, this is that, and you're like, ah, oh, man, I wish, you, you know, yeah. my, my instructor said to do this, or the sheriff told me to drag the body in, or whatever it might be, those types of things. Yeah. Um, what are some big ones that you see people just get wrong? Yeah. Um, well, let me try to answer his question first. I, it's, that's a hard question because it is so broad. I think one important thing to know is, is what are the potential ramifications if I violate this gun law? You know, am I looking at 30 days in jail or 10 years in prison? Because a lot of people don't know that look. And I, this is the answer to your question. I get this sometimes. 
Um, I tell a person in a consult, well, it appears you can't own guns because you have a conviction of a misdemeanor in Pennsylvania, which is punishable by more than two years. And that's a federal disability. Oh, no big deal. It's just a misdemeanor. They're not going to charge me for that. Well, what they don't know is that they're, they're caught under federal law. It's 10 years in prison. Now think about that. If I beat my wife in Ohio, the maximum is six months in jail. But if I do something wrong with a gun, it could be serious. It could be 10 years in federal prison. Um, so that's important to understand, you know, what the potential ramifications are if I do violate the law. Some outliers, some oddball uh, things I've heard that I think are just bizarre are things like um, you, if you have a concealed carry license in Ohio, you can only carry one gun. I, I don't know where that came from. I hear that all the time. Uh, one of my favorites, and I've had several students tell me that their concealed carry instructor told them this, that if you have a concealed carry license, you can't openly carry. I don't know where that came from. That's not true at all. Not true at all. Um, so those are kind of fun ones. Um, the registration, you know, guns aren't registered in Ohio. People think they are. A lot of people think they're registered in Ohio. Most, I, I would say, people think guns are registered. And that's just not the case. Um, so those are some examples of things I hear that are off the wall. Yeah. And it, and the problem is, and we try, uh, you know, through Conceal Carry, we, we put out a lot of um, training information, right? There's a, there's a lot of training, but we also do a lot of educational as far as like um, trying to get to people to say, look, you might have gone to a concealed carry class, right? And your instructor might have been awesome at teaching you the tactics and, and everything like that. And they may have been a great instructor, but there's just so much that you need to know. And sometimes those instructors may not stay up to date or they may not give you the the correct information flat out. Um, and so it's kind of, it's kind of uh, falls on your responsibility as the individual gun owner to learn this stuff, to, to actually reach out and try to educate yourself. Um, watch Derek's uh, munitions group uh, YouTube channel, like get on there and you, you do some great um, and, and, and I know you're you're from Ohio, but you do some great in general, you know, not just Ohio specific uh, clips where you have, you know, people send in questions and you answer them. Um, I, I think this is a point where when we start talking about this stuff is it is where the the individual gun owner turns from I own a gun and I carry it and that makes me safe to I own a gun, I carry it. And wow, there's so much stuff that I need to know in order to stay out of jail, to use my gun successfully. And so um, it, it's it's kind of like trying to flip that switch on as many brains as we can, yeah. many carriers out there um, to get them from that state of like, as long as I'm good, as long as, you know, I, I'm going to just say I felt threatened. And as long as I say right. that, I'm good to go. And it's like, you need more, you need more. So um, you, do you see, do you see more education out there recently? I mean, I, or, or do you, you feel people are more educated than they were about gun law or carrying a gun in general? I think it's gotten better. Um, you know, in the seventies, I think we had something like 12 states that had concealed carry and now it's all 50 states. So it's def definitely a movement that's taken hold of the country. Um, so yeah, yeah, I, there's definitely education out there. There's some that's not so good. There's some that's better than others. It, it's, it's very precarious because you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. You're sitting there in front of an attorney that was called to the gun store to give them the seminar. And you think they know what they're talking about because that's how they're advertised. 
I've I've seen that in a gun trust seminar before where the the female attorney just she had no idea what she was talking about. She couldn't answer the questions. Um, So you have to be careful. um, But I'm glad that people are trying because I think it's important. And I don't know how gun owners that are not lawyers do it. (laughs) To be quite frank with you. Mm -hmm. Or restaurant security or whatever it might be if you're traveling and just trying to figure out the different regulations and laws and how they all kind of play out it's, it can be difficult yeah and, and you're talking about you know you mentioned the laws and, and you don't know what you don't know so i i think for me if i'm if i'm thinking about a lot of the misconceptions somebody will will tell me well my statute they'll they'll say this is what my statute says and i say but if you don't understand the case law or if you don't understand how that law is interpreted or applied you don't understand the law. And so right. how, how, how do you, what would you advise or how can you explain to a lay person or somebody who's listening who might not understand like what's case law? I know my statute, it says this, and you're telling me that it doesn't mean that like, how can they find case law? How, what's the best way of going about it? And can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, Google, honestly, there's something called Google scholar. I believe uh, you can research case law. Um, the easiest way is to hire a lawyer. I mean, that's why we get paid to do it because it's not easy. Um, but you can Google around and try to read, um, different articles and things like that. But again, you don't know if it's accurate or if the person publishing that article is any good. That's why lawyers exist. But what case law is, or what we call precedent is you have a statute, but it's got to be interpreted and applied and the courts are who they're the bodies uh, or tribunals that do that. And so when they rule on a case, it's a published decision that's available online through research services. Two, there's two namely out there, Westlaw and LexisNexis, which is based out of Ohio. Um, and that's those two companies are, are the research services that attorneys around the, the country and world use. And that's where all the repository of the cases are put. Now, you can get them right from the courthouse if you know what you're looking for. <laughs> right. but nobody does that, right? That, that's not efficient. You're not going to read every case on that statute that's ever existed. It'll take you the entire entirety of your life. So that's why you hire attorneys. But if you want to try and do it on your own, the best thing is the internet, to be quite frank with you. Mm-hmm. The best thing is to start with that statute and then research around that statute on the internet. And, and just hopefully you're, made, you're interpreting it correctly. Right, right. Yes, I, I, see it, I see it come up a lot with, um, you know, just basic um, uh, private property issues. Like, can Mm -hmm. I carry on this, you know, my statute says that I can, and then, you know, but I have to be able to, uh, you know, I have to knowingly violate a sign or it has to be prominently posted. And there's all this uh, legalese, you know, description that leaves open this big gray area is, you know, what is prominently posted or what is, you know, or what's obvious to you or what's, what should I have seen? And so I think that's the, that's like kind of the, the, the turn where it says, you know, I understand what it says, but now I have to apply right. it. And if you're, you're not understanding that you could, you could definitely, um, you, you could definitely good, end up in jail. It's a good point. I, I remember in law school and, and they'll tell you this when you go to law school, it takes about a year and then your brain kind of clicks. <laughs> you think differently. Um, so as a lay person, you read a statute, you know what the words say, but you don't know what they mean legally. I'll give you an example. Under the Gun Control Act, the word individual and person is actually defined. Like if I told you the word person, you know what a person is. Right. But only lawyers have to actually define that word. (laughs) 
right? So it's things like that that you know a lot of people don't know. Or the example with the Lautenberg Amendment under the Gun Control Act that says if you've been convicted of domestic violence, you can't own a gun. I'm paraphrasing. But what is domestic violence? Well, we have to define it. So we go to the definition. And then what does that mean? And then there's a case that says, look, it doesn't have to be domestic violence. It could be assault, disorderly conduct, reckless, you know, assault, whatever. As long as there was an element of violence and factually the relationship is there, it still qualifies. So it's things like that. I think that's a really good example of what you're getting at. Yeah. And, uh, and John, John also mentions, he's, he asks about jury instructions. Are jury instructions useful in understanding the law? hundred percent. That, that's a really good research method. Um, if you take a statute, go to the jury instructions, what it kind of does, if you do like Ohio jury instructions or the OJI, or I think it's one called the AJI, the American jury instructions. Basically what a jury instruction is, is before cases rendered to the jury, the judge reads them instructions on what they have to do. Right. They're not just reading the law and saying, this is this person guilty. They're saying, look, under this law, there's different elements. And here's what those elements mean. If you determine A, that means B, your decision should be C. So what the jury instructions allow a user like yourself to do is to understand the analysis that goes into the statute. So it's a really good method of research. Even attorneys use that. Yeah, really good point, John. Um, so we're, we're about uh, 45 minutes into it. So we're going to start wrapping up. But I want to give you an opportunity to kind of address um, some of your um, maybe like the, the, tell me about maybe the best or most proud case that you've done, like w- maybe a restorative case that was, f- was tough or maybe yeah. somebody just a specific special person or something like that. Well, there's two that I can think of. They're older ones. I had one, um, in a County about an hour and a half from Columbus and it turned into a trial. I've never had one do that. And, uh, the prosecutor who was put on the case was not a civil prosecutor. What restoration is in Ohio is a civil matter. It's not criminal. You know, you're not being retried for your crime. It's a matter of your character. Are you a law-abiding person? It's essentially the standard. But this prosecutor wasn't having it. So she brought in the old investigating officers and just basically retried the whole case. Um, and we won. We actually won the case. The judge's decision was limited in the sense that he put a restriction on my gun, my client's gun rights. And I uh, had to address that by email with the judge. And I had to educate the court, which is very common in my practice because they do not understand federal law and gun rights. So I had to explain to him how, although you told me my client won, your order doesn't um, allow for that. Because the federal government will look at that and say it's not complete, therefore you're not restored. Um, so he changed his order. So that was pretty a uh, proud moment and cost the client a lot of money, two day trial, two attorneys were on that case, by the way. Um, and then I had another one that was even older where the guy was in his seventies and he said, you know, I have this, this such and such disease. All I want to do is be able to hunt with my grandson before I die. And I was able to make that happen. So that, that was pretty memorable too. Yeah, that is awesome. Sometimes yeah. we forget, like, you know, we, we, we forget those little things, right? Like that's why I wanted to, I wanted to ask, cause I, I know the guns are inherent in our culture, right? Like we pass them down to our kids. Sometimes we go out hunting and things like that. And I think that it's part of the fabric of American culture. And so things like restorative, uh, getting your rights restored, um, can really be empowering to people who, who might otherwise feel, you know, I, I, I've paid my penance. I can, I can vote, I can do all these things, but I can't own a firearm and protect myself. And I think that's why what you do is so important because it's not just a legal thing. It's, it's, it's lifting that person 
back up to, you know, a protected person with all the rights being protected again, which unless you've lost those rights, you don't realize how important they are. Yeah. And, and I gotta, I gotta applaud you for, for focusing on that. I know it's not an easy, you know, aspect of, of gun law, but um, I applaud you on that because that is a very difficult, difficult road to walk. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I really enjoy it. Um, yeah. Sometimes I get bad clients that don't want to pay their bill or just kind of a pain in the ass. That's always a struggle because I mean, look, I, I'm dealing with a, a, a culture. We're not wealthy. Gun owners are generally not super uber wealthy people. Um, so we have to try and do this on a budget, but it's a lot of work. So it, it creates friction sometimes. The best case is somebody who understands that and is willing to pay the fee and let me do my job um, with my hands unrestricted. Then I really love doing it. I enjoy it. I don't have to worry about the stress of the business side of it. And I can just focus on the client as a person and their their civil liberties. Right. That's awesome. And, and getting back, can you tell people about uh, how they can find the website, how could, how they could contact you if they have further questions or get your YouTube channel out there? Yeah, YouTube, it's Munitions Group. Um, make sure you hit the little bell icon so that when we put new videos, you're getting notifications of it. Uh, website's munitionsgroup.com. Um, you can find us there and on Facebook as well, munitionsgroup.com. Yeah, and you have like six other six other partners, right? Or six, seven? Not that many. I have two other partners, uh, probably soon to be a fourth. We're bringing up an associate that should be there in the next year or two, Michael Truman, very good gun lawyer. I taught him everything I know. At this point, he's ready to go out on his own. Um, Adam Barney handles our, um, our, our, our trade and uh, import-export business. So if you're looking to import broker guns, export guns to other countries, he does that. And then Clay Cheshire does most of our industry stuff. So excise tax, uh, I forgot to mention that, the tax law is really big in, in guns. So excise tax, FFL formations, compliance regulations, things like that. And then we have a team of experts of retired ATF agents that we use, as well as other staffers. And we have offices in uh, Atlanta, Louisville, and Columbus. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. You guys look, I mean, you think spreading out more or is down the road? to do everything remotely so our office in atlanta is a remote office we have brick and mortar in columbus and louisville um and we have a team of attorneys that we affiliate ourselves with around the country and the world um as far as building out more brick and mortar probably not it's not i don't think it's really necessary uh, at this juncture at least right well that's awesome it's, it's good to see that you're doing well um, I really appreciate you taking your time. I know we're not paying you the, your, your normal, uh, fee for legal advice. So, um, I, I really do appreciate you coming on. Um, I wish you guys the best with your family and, and stay healthy. Um, I'll probably see you driving around Columbus sometime when they, when they let us out of the house. Yeah. Let's go shooting sometime. <laughs> for sure. For sure. All right. All right, guys. Well, um, we're going to wrap it up. I just want to mention one more time, the legal boundaries by state book. Um, if you really want to understand the state laws, if you're traveling, it's something that you really, you really have to understand, um, that, that the laws are different from state to state. And this book really helps you out. You can get the digital copy that's updated, uh, periodically, or you can get the physical copy. If you like the physical copy, that's great. Um, you can get both too, if you want. So, uh, head over to concealedcarry.com forward slash gun law book. Um, and we are going to wrap it up for today. Just a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.